0: American National Insurance, and Spiritless. As the weather turns colder and the holidays are here, if you're looking for a truly delicious glass of red or a bottle to gift to someone, I have an idea for you. Chimney Rock. Most everyone knows Napa makes world-class wine, but not everyone knows that within the Napa Valley lies a very small sub-region, Stag's Leap District, home to Chimney Rock Winery. This winery specializes in cabernet that is truly delicious, The wine is filled with beautiful layers of complexity and finishes with a velvety texture. This is a wonderful option for holiday gift-giving or to bring to a special dinner party. Listeners of To Dine For will receive a 15% discount at uncork.com. Just use promo code For at checkout. Cheers and happy holidays. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations, led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For. People who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, Visit com slash dine. If you listen to this podcast, you know I love a great founder story. That's why I love the story of Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. Three young women from Louisville, Kentucky, who had the idea for a healthier bourbon, healthier in the sense it has no alcohol. So you can have an evening cocktail with no guilt and almost no calories. It is so delicious. I love to squeeze an orange slice, a couple of dashes of bitters, shake it with ice, and then strain it into a beautiful glass and just kick back. If you'd like to try a bottle of Spiritless, you can use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine for the podcast, where we meet the world's most innovative and brilliant minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Greg Cameron.
1: So I, I think it is just the combination of creative expression. That really makes us human, and I think this past year and a lot of the at least live performance being shut down made people realize even more how much they rely on artists. We can use what we've created to heal, to connect.
0: Greg Cameron is the president and CEO of the Joffrey Ballet. Under his leadership, the Joffrey has set new records at the box office and built the strongest financial foundation in its history. No small feat. His work in the arts in Chicago has spanned many different venues, from PBS station WTTW in Chicago to the Museum of Contemporary Art to the Art Institute of Chicago. His work is dedicated to supporting the arts and artists and creating meaningful experiences for others. Earlier this month, we interviewed Robert Battle, the artistic director for Alvin Ailey. Then last week, I featured my conversation with superstar ballerina Misty Copeland. We continue the conversations around dance today. Greg offers a unique perspective on the world of dance, especially what it really takes to support the arts and produce productions for us all to enjoy. Please enjoy my conversation with Greg Cameron. Hi, Greg. Good morning, Kate. Oh, it's so good to see you. Thank you so much for being on to dine for the podcast.
1: Well, thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to... To meet you. I was going to say in person, but I guess we can't really call this in person. This is the new in person, right?
0: Greg, we're going to do the best we can to have the most amazing conversation, whether we are virtual or otherwise, but it is wonderful to join you. We are, um, I am just so fascinated by the world of dance, and I have so many questions for you. So get ready. But I'm going to start this podcast the way I start all the podcasts, and that is by asking the guest where their favorite restaurant is. You live in Chicago, is that correct? Yes,
1: yes, I live in lifelong Chicagoan.
0: Amazing. Where is your favorite restaurant?
1: You know, I well, you know when I think about that question, I'm going to sort of go back to when I first moved into Chicago. So this is almost 40 years ago, and I lived uh, in what is commonly called Little Italy, yes, um, on the west side of Chicago. Uh, certainly, over forty years, the neighborhood has changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. But what hasn't changed is Tafano's Vernon Park Tap,
0: ah. and it
1: is an incredible restaurant. And if if you go back forty years ago, it was in fact a tap with a few tables and good Italian cooking. It was like eating in an Italian's kitchen.
0: Like eating in a mama's kitchen.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and Joey DiBuno, who runs the restaurant and has been involved probably forever since it's a family run business, you know, maintains the same quality of food, the same quality of service. It's a cash only place.
0: Yes. best
1: eggplant Parmesan that you will find outside of Italy. And who knows, (laughs) maybe even better than in Italy. (laughs)
0: Well, I can't wait to go. You know, I also live in Chicago and I will tell you, I'm always looking for a neighborhood gem. So I think I just have my my next destination. You've given it to me. So thank you well, for that. Let
1: me, let me know when you want to go and we can go together.
0: That sounds like a plan.
1: I, I mean, Kate, it was so funny because, you know, I lived in the neighborhood. So, you know, I walked by the restaurant multiple times a day, taking a dog for walks. And, you know, I knew Joey's grandmother, his mother, mm. you know, mm. his aunts. And you, you go to lots of restaurants and they talk about family style. This is not just family style. This is like family through and through.
0: And there's something really special about a restaurant like that because it makes you feel like family and it's absolutely priceless. There's nothing you can do to replicate that feeling, that experience. And you know what you're getting every time, right? Mm. Like every time you go in, you know what you're getting. And I don't mean just the food. You know what you're getting from the, the feeling you have to where you want to sit to how the whole experience is going to go down. I, I know, I know what you mean. And I, I'm just so excited you shared that.
1: Kate, go with a a large group of people because you want to order lots of things. (laughs) Yes,
0: that's my favorite way to eat. My favorite way to eat. Well, Greg, you know, it's funny. We are actually doing an entire month around the... Dance community of conversations around dance. You know, we're, we're going to, um, talk to Robert Battle, uh, the artistic director for Alvin Ailey. We're going to talk to Pyle Kadakia, who created Class Pass, but is a Bollywood dancer herself. And we're going to c- talk to Misty Copeland, the great ballerina. And I feel like you are such a unique perspective on dance. And I can't wait to dive into sort of that aspect of your career. But first, bring me back to your first childhood memories of the arts where did your love of the arts begin and can you take me back to an early memory
1: sure i you know i would have to go back to being a young boy growing up in the western suburbs of chicago what suburb where did you grow uh, up westchester illinois sure yes and you know my my parents were high school sweethearts and got married young and then had three little boys and you know, our weekend activities involved not so much going to art museums, but going to Chicago's museums. Mm. And I think it really was that combination of coming into Chicago and seeing the work in the Field Museum, which at the time, maybe people looked at and thought as anthropological, you know, Mm -hmm. people hadn't moved to understand that what we were seeing at the Field Museum were artistic expressions of cultures, yes. some that didn't exist anymore, um, others that were being rediscovered. Uh, so, it, I, I think it was a lot of those early, you know, museum experiences, and then the joy of field trips, you know, mm-hmm. grade school field trips, and going to performances uh, at the Goodman Theater and, going to museums with my German teacher, Frau Duda, and really (laughs) understanding and exploring the magic of of the arts. I also have to give a nod to uh, my Aunt Margie, who's no longer living, but she was a drama theater major at Northwestern University, and she loved performance, she loved the arts, I spent lots of time in movie theaters in Sterling, Illinois, watching movies over and over. My grandparents ran the movie theaters in Sterling and mm-hmm. drive-ins. So I think lots of exposure. Uh, and, and then an early realization that an artist I was not going to be. You know, so <laughs> the, you, you referenced Robert Battle and Misty Copeland, like they, they were dance they're dancers. This, this guy does not dance.
0: But but that, that's why I'm so excited to interview you, honestly, Greg. So let's unpack that. What do you think it was about the arts? People talk about the arts and valuing the arts and appreciating the arts. But really, what what do you think the arts gave you specifically before college as a child?
1: Sure. I, I think it was really early on understanding that the arts were a, a way of telling stories. Mm. And of course, you know, in, in grade school, you had to write a story You know, those stories in second grade were maybe two sentences. Mm -hmm. Um, But with those sentences, you did illustrations. I I loved books when I was a little boy. Mm -hmm. I especially loved books with illustrations. Mm -hmm. And uh, I still probably buy at least one or two children's books a month and hold on to them for a while. And then I ultimately let go of them and send them to, you know, friends that have children but I, I think that combination of the written word, the spoken word, uh, movement, music, uh, all coming together to express, you know, who we are as humans. And, you know, mm. we connect with each other mm. through stories. And, and I think, too, coming back to, you know, your show and your creative energy of to dine for, there are lots of places in the world that I have never been to. But I have tasted their food.
0: Which is a creative expression. People forget Mm -hmm. that food is an incredible creative expression that we do every day, three times a day.
1: Exactly. And, you know, long before I ever went to China, you know, when I was six or seven years old, we would have quote Chinese food. Now, I'm not Mm -hmm. so sure that it was really authentic Chinese food, but it allowed us to travel someplace.
0: Yes, transport you.
1: So I, I think it is just the combination of creative expression that really makes us us human and i think this past year and 18 20 months of a lot of the at least live performance being shut down made people realize even more how much they rely on artists to keep us human i will also say that artists are usually first respondents mm. you know artists are ready to dive in and deal with critical issues long before Governments are. I mean, if you think of all of the movements just over my lifetime where artists were there to say, we can use what we've created to heal, to connect.
0: We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute, but first, thank you to our sponsors. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. As the weather turns colder and the holidays are here, if you're looking for a truly delicious glass of red or a bottle to gift to someone, I have an idea for you. Chimney Rock. Most everyone knows Napa makes world-class wine, but not everyone knows that within the Napa Valley lies a very small subregion, region Stag's Leap District, home to Chimney Rock Winery. This winery specializes in cabernet that is truly delicious. The wine is filled with beautiful layers of complexity and finishes with a velvety texture. This is a wonderful option for holiday gift-giving or to bring to a special dinner party. Listeners of To Dine For will receive a 15% discount at uncork.com. Just use promo code to Dine For at checkout. Cheers, and happy holidays. Now back to our conversation. I read that you sold mints for the YMCA <laughs> as a kid, and I thought to myself, that is so perfect, because what a uh, precursor of your work, right? Because at the end, end of the day, we need artists And we need people who can make the productions happen. And you, as the CEO and president of the Joffrey, have led it into incredibly successful financial times and have put it on solid footing. Uh, So, first of all, congratulations to you. Well done. Your path has involved a lot of different uh, work in the arts. But specifically with the Joffrey, what is, if you had to put your work now into a few sentences, what is at the heart of what you have to do every day?
1: You know, and it's this is such a great question. Just earlier this week, uh, Ashley Weeder, uh, who is the Mary B. Galvin artistic director of the Joffrey Ballet, and it's it's important for me to say the Mary B. Galvin artistic director because the Galvin family gave a five million dollar gift to wow. name that position. But Ashley and Ann Kaplan, who is our board chair and uh, a board chair unlike any you could ever meet. And I were down at the Booth School, the University of Chicago uh, Business School, mm-hmm. meeting with, with students and talking, you know, about this exact issue. And for me, it really is, you know, it, it all comes back to mission. And, and I wish I could say back, you know, at the Y, my brothers and I took classes at the Y, we swam at the Y, you know, I enjoyed going to the Y, but the the mint thing was really motivated by the person that sold the most mints got a bike. And I sort of <laughs> wanted the bike. So I was relentless. Thanks
0: for the honesty.
1: <laughs> I was relentless in knocking on doors to make sure that I was the person that at the end of the day got that bike.
0: But that's a skill set that you were developing at a young (laughs) age, a muscle you were flexing that you use to this day, right? Because at the end of the day, it's about finding the funds. And in the arts, it can be a struggle depending on the venue. And it, it takes a certain person who not only has an integral passion for the arts, but also has the skill set.
1: Yeah and, and and that you know that said Kate I think what I am is a dot connector. When I was a little kid I loved to do connect the dots, you know, and I I could connect the dots and ah there was a cardinal or I could connect the dots and there was a daisy. Mm-hmm. And it really what my work is all about is connecting dots. And it's connecting dots between the artists who are part of our company, the students who are studying here, our elected officials, our board, our cultural partners across the country, internationally. And, and that's really what is so much fun uh, about my work is really figuring out how we can ensure that artists are, are supported. And, and that's a common thread in my career from the museum world to you know now the, the space of, of dance. And I'm going to use dance even though we're called the Joffrey Ballet. Ballet is one of the languages of dance that the Joffrey uses.
0: How do you think raising money for the arts is different, specifically for the Joffrey, but just in general compared to raising money for any business?
1: Sure. Well, you know, and it's interesting having spent some time at the Art Institute raising money for the arts, uh, you know, in the art museum space. It's it's very different in the performing arts you know, in the visual arts space, individuals can own a painting. Yes, It's not hard to understand why somebody that may be owned four or five Monets might be interested in wanting to support the Art Institute in a Monet exhibition, because there's a market, you know, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but there's a market. You can buy and sell artworks. What is so different in the performing arts world, is that you can't buy and sell dancers. Mm. Um, you know, the experience that you get as the person that made the gift to commission a new work is no different than the freshman in high school that's sitting three rows away from you. Um, in that sense of a shared communal experience, going to a museum with a group can you know, is maybe not that much fun. Yeah, you know, sure, mm-hmm. you can go on a tour, but the notion of live performance is that everybody arrives, and now, of course, with their vaccination card and <laughs> in their mask, but, you know, everybody arrives, strangers, but they leave sharing something that will be with them forever. And, and I think trying to help people get their arms around that and to understand that what we do is not an add-on you know that if we were to strip away our art institutes and the great architecture of this city and in the dance that takes place in this city uh, it would be a pretty uninteresting place to live work or or play Mm. and so i think those of us that have dedicated careers to supporting artists and raising funds to keep arts organizations solid you know, have to keep chipping away, you know, at, you know, the corporate community that tends to follow trends. And, you know, Mm. sometimes the arts are at the top of the list and other times other issues sort of bump up to the top. And it's not a competition. It's not to Mm. say one is more important than the other, but it really is uh, if we're if we're going to be whole, we need to have shelter over our heads, we need to have food in our stomach, we need to be educated. And all of that comes together in the space of of the arts.
0: So when you sit down maybe over lunch with someone who is the holding the purse strings for a big corporation, and you are trying to explain the latest going on at the Joffrey and what makes the Joffrey unique, what what do you think? based on your experience, gets them from a maybe to a yes.
1: I actually had one of those lunches yesterday <laughs> in person. I mean, it was so much fun, you know, in talking to somebody who has, you know, consistently supported the Joffrey and, and very much so in the space of, of capacity building and understanding that nonprofit arts organizations need solid business infrastructure to get their work done. And, and I think, the reason that people want to continue to make investments in mission. And these are investments where you know, they're not getting any sort of financial return. They're getting right. a return that is priceless, you know, right. at least in my estimation. And, and I think it's uh, seeing that an organization is stewarding its resources well, that is, it's an organization that has created a culture uh, solidly based on trust and respect, you know, that is not letting mission creep, pull, you know, a funder says, oh, I want to support this. And suddenly, you start leaning in directions that don't necessarily resonate with the founding principles of an organization. You know, so it's, it's one of those words that I don't know, it's, it's hard to sometimes say, you know, what is excellence? But I, I do think that excellence comes in all shapes and sizes. It's not like an A that you might strive for in an academic classroom, but I think nonprofit organizations that are responsible and connected to community and supporting their mission I was fortunate to start my arts career in Chicago working at the Department of Cultural Affairs when Harold Washington Mm -hmm. was mayor of the city. So issues of diversity and equity and inclusion and access have been part of my personal DNA and my professional DNA for 40 years.
0: There's think, two things at at play. There's obviously the mission of the Joffrey to bring beautiful productions to life for everyone. And then there's a, a, a subset of that, which is how do you make the world of dance and the world of ballet more accessible to more people? As we know, ballet has historically been a very white world. And right. how do you bring kids in Chicago and, and expose them to a world of beauty and energy and really storytelling. So when you are up, at, when you're sitting at that lunch, what I'm hearing from you, and please correct me, is that you lead with your mission uh, of not only what the Joffrey does, but how access for everyone, equitable access is also an integral part of your mission. So, if a corporation maybe really, you know, to, to speak crudely, doesn't care about dance, they might care about bringing access to the arts to more people.
1: I I think completely, and you know, and 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 I would say that my work in you know almost twenty five years at the Museum of Contemporary Art, where I can tell you, I had many a lunch of, you know, with a "you call that art" sort of response. <laughs> you know, helping people understand that art is is wide. It's not, yes. you know, yes. it, you've, we've got to be open, you know, yes. and and people are all excited mm-hmm. about innovation. You know, they want the newest iPhone. They right. want what's new and, and shiny and exciting. And, you know, in the space of art, we we want to have people be open to that as well. So yeah,
0: that's right, because you don't get the new iPhone without, bringing people who think outside the box, who don't fit into contemporary ideas and styles of of everything. You've got to have people who, as you said, some people look at contemporary art and say you call that art, but it takes every type of person and every type of thinking to create the very best of anything.
1: Exactly. And and one thing, Kate, that is, I, I think, so incredible about Chicago is the collaborative nature of this city in the way that the arts organizations work together i mean our you know recent move and when i say recent you know we opened our season at the lyric opera just weeks ago but being able to partner with the lyric opera you know and they're an opera company and we're a ballet company but together we can bring our assets and the beautiful space that they have to put a bigger spotlight on dance in Chicago and, and make Chicago a stronger, healthier, more vital city. And, and what the one thing that I love about the Joffrey is that we are a company of 45 artists. We are an academy that has students uh, here from, oh, depending on the year, 16, 17 different countries, and then we are out in Chicago public schools uh, every day, engaging with with students that live and call Chicago home, and in the integration of all of those is so exciting. To watch a student progress through uh, the pathway and the the sort of life cycle of a of a dancer uh, is is pretty exciting. And I've been here a little over eight years now, so I've had I've seen that happen, and that's like wow, this this really works.
0: <laughs> when you look back at your career in all of your different capacities to the arts and your job right now, what do you think you, Greg Cameron, is uniquely good at? What do you think that you bring to the table that is a little different than most people who have the role that you have? Oh, gosh. Don't overthink it, Greg. <laughs> I know, no, I
1: But, you know, I I truly in in a completely authentic way value what artists do so it's almost second nature to be able to in an authentic way talk about the importance of the arts in the, the landscape of a world and and i it's you know i don't ever feel like i'm trying to sell something and maybe this is it it's you know giving people an opportunity to be involved in something That is bigger than them. That Mm. is going to outlast them. And I think when you Mm. realize that we're making investments in things that we may never see, there's you know a a quote about you know planting an acorn, and most of us that plant an acorn don't ever get to enjoy the shade of the oak tree. Mm. But I want to be one of those people that quietly, you know, I'm not on the stage. I don't really want to be in the spotlight. I prefer to be backstage pulling the curtain, Um, but knowing that I've been able to impact lives, both artists and over all of these years, administrators. You know, arts administration has become a legitimate field of work. When Mm -hmm. I started, you know, it was sort of like, oh, you know, the arts, (laughs) why would you, you know, why would you choose that as a career path? right um, and and i think now it's it's very legitimate there's a huge understanding that leaders in the arts need the same training and the same skills that the corporate leaders pursue?
0: Well, it's it, it's completely different in the sense that you could have used your same skill set to go work for a big corporation. It probably would have been a heck of a lot easier. And you probably maybe even made a heck of a lot more money, but you <laughs> had to, what's, what's very authentic and what you just said actually rings true based on our whole conversation is that your deep love of the arts and understanding the artist I thought was really interesting because I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't fully get the the mind of an artist and what they're trying to do and how they're trying to express themselves that makes you so unique. I used to work at, at CBS Chicago and I would walk to work and I'd walk down State Street and I would look up and through the window on that upper level, you can see the ballerinas practicing at the Joffrey in the school, and you can see their legs doing the same motion over and over. And I always would stop and think to myself, just how they are just wonderful symbols of what it takes to be good at anything, that you have to do small movements over and over again. You've got to put in the time, the effort, the work. It's going to hurt at times. It's going to seem futile at times. But if you're willing to go there and to hang in, there is beauty and a result at the end. And I was wondering, when you look at your career, what have you had to do over and over and over again to get good at?
1: Yeah, I I think, and this of course continues, (laughs) I am indeed an imperfect work in process, (laughs) but I I think it's continuing to, uh, you know, to become an even better listener. Hmm. And I, I really think that good listeners are more persuasive than you know, the stereotypical sort of car salesperson. and
0: The showboat.
1: I'm not, you know, disparaging car salespeople, but, you know, sometimes there's too much talk in trying to sell you as opposed to really being in a space where you're listening and understanding what people are looking for. And when you do that and you do that successfully, magic can really happen. And I think to your point, Kate, you know, that's what these artists in the studios here at the Joffrey are doing. You know, they're letting their bodies listen to training that they've had from the time they were five or six. It's a tough career. And it's a short career. Mm -hmm. You know, by the time you're in your late 30s, if you're a, a Joffrey artist, you're having to sort of think and plan for the next chapter in your life. And for many of us, it's when we're in our mid to late thirties that we finally maybe are in sync and in step and have, you know, are just getting started. So it, it is, the, the studio is a, is a magical space but it's only magical when you have an artist and a teacher there. It's just like, you know, a CPS classroom is a room. When you have a good teacher in that classroom and a student that is open to learning, is when good things and, and magic, you know, happen.
0: And speaking of learning and being a lifelong learner, I, I, this is sort of an open-ended question. You can answer it however you'd like. You know, in your current sphere, in your current realm, who's inspiring you? What are you inspired by? Is there something you're watching, something you're reading, something, some, maybe some art that is informing what you do?
1: sure i you know i really think that where i get a lot of inspiration is our, our third floor is where our academy students are mm-hmm. and you know some days coming into the office i ride an elevator up with a, a young student from brazil who is saying like you know i'm so excited i can't wait for the first snowfall you know i'm so mm-hmm. excited and to see this sort of hungriness to understand and embrace the the joy of the, of the world and to to keep learning, I I really think that, you know, the students inspire me, you know, I'm a a curious person. So I try to get to lots of performance and uh, still, you know, the visual arts are a, a, a wonderful safe space for me. But I think being open, I was just in Puerto Rico for the very first time with my partner. And I had this like aha moment after being there that, you know what? I want to learn Spanish,
0: mm. and not
1: to be you know able to read and write Spanish, but I, I you know it was like all of a sudden I was like this beautiful language, these people that are so warm and embracing, and I want to be able to communicate with them. So I got back from Puerto Rico and went to Babel and mm-hmm. signed up, <laughs> and I've been doing I the, love it. the fifteen minutes you know and and mm-hmm. I trust me. You know, I'm not going to become a fluent Spanish speaker, but it was it was just enough to say, hey, I, I want a sample and and try a, a little more.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: When I was in college, I, I had the good fortune of living in Austria and studying and became fascinated by Austrian Baroque sculpture and architecture. Wow. pretty niche sort of thing. You're not going to yes. find any of it in the states.
0: That's the first time I've ever heard anyone say that, Greg.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, a, there's a particular architect, Johann Bernhard Fischer von Erlach, and I've just in the past few weeks have been diving back in in googling and sort of exploring that, trying to understand why when I was 20 that was so powerful and transformative to making me think. And uh, the work, it's its very theatrical. It's mm-hmm. all about movement. And oftentimes, people don't think about architecture and movement.
0: Mm-hmm. Although
1: here in Chicago, we have the Frank Gehry yes. you know, Pritzker Pavilion, which is is all about movement. So yeah, I'm, I'm always, I'm open.
0: Well, that's fantastic. You know, I wish we had a little bit more time, but I, I will tell you that you know, at the end of the day, having a meal, uh, a beautiful Italian meal in Little Italy with you at your favorite spot would be an absolute joy. I can't thank you enough for this conversation. And um, I wish you and the Joffrey and all the work you do continued success.
1: Okay. Thank you very much. And and I hope that we can get you to a Nutcracker performance.
0: It's sold. And,
1: and who knows, maybe we can do the Nutcracker and Tefano's. They're very close to each other.
0: <laughs> I would love that. Sounds like a date. Thank Wonderful. you so much, Greg. Thank you. Have Kate. a great day. Well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at to Dine for, with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Spiritless, and Turlotto Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golmer. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. And 365 day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans.